Good morning, everyone. This morning, if you open your Bibles, and I'm not going to tell you where because I quite frankly don't know where, but I think it's always a safe place to open in Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> As you know, some kind of way, we're going to deal with Genesis chapter 1, uh, almost everything that I have to say. And, almost, and everything the Bible has to say, actually, is flowing out of Genesis 1 and 2. So you can always make sure that Genesis 1 and 2 must be the anchor, the foundation of whatever is taught, whatever is understood, whatever is believed, however the faith works in our lives. Moving forward, Genesis 1 and 2 is the reason for it. But this morning, we're going to begin a new study, and I'm calling it at this moment unless I change the title, and sometimes I do that as we move through. The threefold office, the threefold office of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. I think all of us have heard over a period of time, from time to time, as references are made in teaching and in sermons, Jesus is our high priest, he is our prophet, and he is our king. Well, this morning we're going to do a study, and I don't know quite how long it's going to be, probably four or five weeks, maybe six or so. We're going to do a study and looking at the reason, the essential, the necessity of Jesus being our prophet, priest, and king. And what we're going to do in this study, we're going to learn the origin of it, and as I said, the significance of Jesus fulfilling this threefold office and how he fulfilled it. So that's where we're going this morning. And today, we're just going to paint a very large picture, do a background work again. And I must warn you, as I have before, any of you who have been in any class that I've taught, I always review and one day I think I'm going to prove to many who think, why do we do that? We've already gone over that. Give a test and find out. You find out how much you don't remember. It's just amazing. I, I know as a school teacher, I know how this works. And so we're going to do a review this morning. And then next week we'll talk, start talking about Jesus as king, fulfilling the the uh, office of king, and then after that, we'll talk about him fulfilling the office of prophet, and then after that, we'll fulfilling the, uh, talk about him fulfilling the office of, what was the third one? Priest. And then we'll wrap it all together and put it all together and summarize and bring to a conclusion of what does all this mean, even if we said it two or three times. Father, thank you so much. Father, how amazing you are. Father, when we look at this book, the internal integrity and comprehensive unity. Father, there's not a thing out of order. There's nothing missing. There's nothing needed to be added to. There is no inconsistency. Father, we know there are things in here we don't get, we don't understand, and how can it be? But we know that there's no inconsistency. The order of this book, the glory of this book. And Father, we know that all of that is because this book is your gift to us, revealing who you are and how you are through the ministry of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit takes your word 
reveals it to us and causes it to become part of our souls in a living, vibrant, ministry, effective way. Thank you for this. Fathers, we begin this study this morning once again. We cannot do this. We cannot understand it. And we certainly cannot benefit from it unless it's all imbued with your spirit. So, Father, this morning we begin by asking you to do what you said you would do, but yet to ask you anyway. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Teach us this morning. Minister to us. And, Father, cause your word from this class and from Sunday morning and from personal devotions and any time we are listening or reading, Father, cause your word to do what you say you would do in Isaiah 55, 11. And we give you praise for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, thank you for being here. This morning we, we start, and I'm excited about this. I think, though, I'm excited about every study that the Lord gives us, talking about Christ's threefold office, how he fulfills it, where does it originate and the significance? So let's go back and look at the background. And we must understand the background in order to understand what this threefold office is all about. So let's do a little bit of that. As with everything, everything that we have in the Bible, we always must go back to Genesis to understand why Christ came to fulfill the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. The answer to it, the kernel of it, the origination of it, is in Genesis 1 and 2. And so anything, again, you want to know about the person and work of Christ, we must go back to look at that material in those two chapters to get a fuller understanding, not the complete understanding, but at least the basic understanding of what God is after in this man called Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you remember in Genesis 1.26, without looking at the notes, how many of you can tell me what Genesis 1.26 says? Raise your hand. If you can quote it. If you, you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to stand and quote it. So how many of you can quote Genesis 1.26? Without looking at your Bibles, you can quote Genesis 1.26. You're confirmed about that. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to quote it. So be careful. How many of you can do it? Stand up and quote it for us, Steve. And the Lord said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, if there's any verse in the Bible, how many times you've heard me say this? If there's any verse in the Bible that capsulates and gives us the complete understanding of our purpose in life, and how we are to fulfill that purpose. What is our life all about? If there's any verse in the Bible, any single verse, this is that verse. And I've said before and I'll say it again. Anything you want to know about what to do, where to go, how to do it, all the ramifications of your life, any question at all, if you want to know the answer, you must go back to Genesis 1.26 and you must get God's purpose 
God's meaning, the significance to God from that verse into your heart and into your mind. And having that happen by the Spirit, you will know being led by the Spirit to accomplish God's creative purpose in and through you and me, you will know the answer. Amen? You'll have the answer. I believe it is the single most important verse as to God's purpose for man because everything else in the Bible as to our purpose and our function in God's economy is the result of that verse. So where do we go to begin? Genesis 1.26, God has already created. Remember, everything, we're in the sixth day. Everything's been created. And then God says, I don't know at the noontime of that day or 3 o'clock in the afternoon or what time during that day, but let us make man in our image after our likeness. And there it is. God's intention for Adam, for all humanity, remember the word Adam is Adam in the Hebrew. It means humanity or mankind. Every God's intention in creating Adam, all of us, <clears throat> what is it? Is the revelation of his triune nature. It's not just the revelation of God, but it is the specific, I'm gonna, this is, I need more time on this. We need to do something with that clock. It is the specific revelation, the specific revelation that God is not a single person God, but that he is a triune God, that in the one being of God, there exists three distinct divine persons, each one being fully God in himself, but not by himself, all three collectively sharing the exact nature, exact substance, the same attributes and purpose, relating to one another as a community in a fellowship through loving roles. That's our God. That's the image that God desires to portray in and through us. John, can you help me? I've got to take this jacket off. It's going to get hot around here. That's the image that God is desiring to portray in us. So it's not just we're to be godly people and to be this and that and the other thing. There is a specificity in God about this. And the specificity is he doesn't want us just to portray him. And so that concludes the class. Oh. He doesn't want us just to portray him as God. There is a thing about God that he wants to betray. He's very particular, you know. He's extremely particular. And the particularity of God was such that when man did not fulfill this, God determined, having already in eternity decided this and mandated it in his purpose in Genesis 1.26, the particularity is so important to God that God determined, I will send my own son to die on the cross in order for my essential being and character to be displayed through my folks. Amen? Yeah. 
So this is important, extremely important, fundamental, foundational to anything and everything about our lives as believers. And I emphasize this this morning because this has everything to do with Jesus Christ fulfilling the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. Therefore, you see, as God's image bearers, it was Adam's responsibility to image God's triune nature. Now, you must get this. We are here to image the triunity of God. All three persons together, comprehensively, collectively, in communion in us by the Spirit is to be manifested through our fellowshipping together in loving roles so that the world may know that the God of these people is unlike any other God at all. That this God is God. That's what God wants them to know. So Adam was, had the responsibility to image God's triune nature through the three mandates. How are you going to do it? God's going to give him three mandates. Isn't it interesting? A triune God, three mandates. A triune God, three mandates. The mandates, remember, are found in Genesis 1.28 and 2.15. This means that for Adam to fulfill his creative purpose, Adam has to function and minister as God's prophet priest and king upon the earth now there are a few verses you need to know maybe not exactly word for word but you need to know what they are genesis 126 you gotta know genesis 128 you gotta know and genesis 215 you also got to know you have to know these verses and so genesis 128 and genesis 215 are the declaration of the means or the mandates that God gives to Adam for the purpose of fulfilling his creative purpose. How can Adam display a triune God if he doesn't know how? He's going to display it as God's earthly regent, as God's prophet, as God's priest, and as God's king. And as Adam does that, and with his wife, they together, I say Adam, remember, I'm collectively bringing them both together. As Adam and Eve do this as husband and wife, and as they begin to have children under this very covenant of God and the creation, and as <coughs> this family begins to grow and grow, the, the presence of God and the reality of God and the power of God and the rule of God begins to go forth. And literally, the the boundaries of the garden begin to be extended larger and larger until one day God's purpose is that the entire earth be filled with his glory as manifested in his image bearers. That's our purpose. That's why God created us. That's the whole purpose for ministry, for Bible studies, for prayer, for obedience, for everything. What was God's purpose in giving Adam this ministry, that in each office, get this, each office, what are they? Prophet, priest, king. That in each office, what are the offices? Prophet, priest, king. That in each office, each person of the Trinity is to be manifested. So that the three offices together and each one individually focus on the persons of the Trinity. That's what this is about. 
so that Adam fulfills, as Adam fulfills these mandates through his obedience, in each mandate, one of the persons of God is accentuated and collectively the Godhead is manifested. Do you understand what I just said? One is accentuated, not to the exclusion of the others. One is accentuated or emphasized in that particular ministry, prophet, priest, king. But together, all three comprehensively come together to manifest our God is a triune God. So it is necessary. It's necessary. James, he got to do it. He has to be king, prophet, and priest. Adam has to have this. Adam has to do this. The people of God on earth have to do this if God is to properly and accurately be displayed for who he really is in himself. It's necessary. This is not just something, hey, this is an absolute necessity of revelation. So let's look at each of these three mandates or these three offices and how they relate to the triune nature of God. King. Genesis 1.28. If you look at Genesis 1.28, the word says, and God blessed them. Who? Them. Who? Adam and Eve. Remember? He blessed them. And what did he say? He says what? Be fruitful and multiply. Do what else? What? Fill the earth. Then what's the next command? What? Take what? Subdue and have or take dominion over everything, essentially. Multiply and have dominion or rule. Dominion, rule, same thing. Over all of the earth. And so what do we see in this mandate? Well, in this mandate, we have a couple of things, but I want to emphasize the king part of it. Where do you see the kingly emphasis in this mandate? What do kings do? They rule. They take submission over. They have dominions. Remember? One of the word for the group that the king rules over is the kingdom. The kingdom. That is a rule or a dominion term. A take charge term, amen? Dominion, rule, kingdom. Just keep that in mind. So as you think about this, hmm, kingdom. Where in the Bible have I heard this word kingdom? Well, first you heard it in Exodus. Remember? Kingdom. God says you're going to be a kingdom of what? And then Israel becomes a kingdom? And then in the New Testament, what is the first sermon of Jesus in Mark? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, is at hand. Why? Because the king's here. And anywhere the king was, there's the kingdom, Johnny. The king is the kingdom. He represents the kingdom. Amen? 
when you study history and you study Napoleon, remember some of the Napoleonic Wars? And when, you know, Napoleon was something else. He, he won a lot of his battles without even a fight. And there's one incident that is recorded in Germany where the German folks under this local leader had 30,000 men ready to face Napoleonic army. And as the sun rose and as the mist lifted, they all looked out and it looked like the earth was moving toward them. 500,000 soldiers coming toward them. It looked like the whole earth was moving. They surrendered. But you know what's interesting? When we read that, we don't say, and Francois and blah, 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 blah 500,000 won the battle. What do we say? Napoleon. Napoleon did it. So you see, Napoleon encapsulated through his own rule the entire what? Kingdom there. That's what the kingdom is. So the king, the king, Adam was given authority to subdue and have dominion over the earth, thus focusing on the role of the father, of the father's role. <clears throat> I said each one of these mandates, prophet, priest, king, focuses on one of the members of the Trinity individually and collectively the entire Trinity is in focus. So the Father's rule is in focus. Now we could give a lot of verses here and I don't, I don't mind doing it but I, I think we can move along on this. If you were to look at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 14 Paul does by the Spirit an extraordinary encapsulation of the ministry of the Trinity. And as you look at Gen uh, ex what, what, what am I in? Ephesians, thank you. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. I'm not going to read them this morning. If you look at it, verses 1, I'm sorry, 3 to 6, that's the Father's ministry. And when you look at the Father's ministry, you can see that it is the Father's leadership, his role as leader of the community of the Godhead. He is the one who is deciding and from whose purpose the Son and the Spirit move to keep that purpose. So you see that as one of your, if you would, references in the New Testament. So prophet, priest, and king, the office of king to subdue and to rule over the earth is to be a revelation or an image of the rule and dominion of the Father. And so you remember Jesus says that in the last days, I'm sorry, in the resurrection, in the consummation of the age, he will return the rule of this universe where? To God. Remember, it will display the Father's Sovereign, omnipotent rule. So that's what the kingly mandate office is all about. The second one I have here, <clears throat> prophet. In Genesis 1.28, Adam was to what? 
be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so what does that mean? In being multiplying and being fruitful and filling the earth, what is implicit in this? Because you see the explicitness in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. But what is implicit in this? It is explicit in 2, 16 and 17. Implicit in this is not that Adam and Eve are going to have a bunch of kids. Hey, we're going to have a bunch of kids and live all over the place. We can live everywhere. What is the purpose of the church growing? Why is it necessary for the church to multiply and be fruitful? Through what? Evangelism. What is the necessity of it? So we can have a lot of people running around. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Right, Simone? I'm a Christian. 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 You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. No, that's not the purpose of it, essentially. The purpose of it is, is that we take the presence and the word of God, the command of God, the life of God that has been imparted to us by the Holy Spirit in the word of God, that we become a living manifestation and a living word of God to the people. It is we are to be in wording the nations with the presence of God. How are they going to know God unless we as the living reality of his word and of the function of his word in us are out there displaying it? Amen? And so in that is an implicit go out, multiply, and thus be spreading the seed of my word. And so you remember God gives the word to Adam, a particular word to Adam in 2.16 and 17. You remember that word in 2.16 and 17? Adam, there are two trees over there. One tree is called the tree of life. The other tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, I'll give all the trees to you. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of its fruit for in the day that you eat thereof you will surely die God gives his commandment to Adam he gives his word to Adam and you remember where Adam and Eve failed was when Eve began to talk to this slithering slimy serpent in chapter 3 she should, when she heard him say, hath God said? And when the wife heard that, now don't misunderstand it. Isn't that wives in Christ can't listen to God and pray? Don't, don't take this where I'm not going with it, okay? Because I know how ERA is today, a devilish movement. Don't go with it. And when she heard this question of the purpose and the power of God, she should have gone to her husband and said, Adam, I have a question. You talk to this animal. See, that's what should have happened, right? She should have had Adam to do it. Adam right there or whatever should have said to him, her sweetheart, I'll take this. Because it's not given to you to do what's been given to me. It's not given to you to do what's been given to me. And it's not given to him what's been given to her. Does he understand that? It's not been given to her what's been given to him. It's not been given to him what's been given to her. Roles, 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 distinction, God, persons, trinity. 
So they had to take the word. So when you look at Ephesians chapter 1 again, remember 3 to 6 is what? The Father's role. 13 and 14, the Spirit's role. Then priest. In Genesis 2.15, Adam is given the priestly responsibility. You remember what it was? Now, we went through this for 22 weeks. So all of you should be up on this. The priestly responsibility, what? To what? Work and keep the garden. Now, that isn't a responsibility of just getting out there and cutting the grass every day. <laughs> Working and keeping the garden is guarding and maintaining the presence of the, the temple of God. Remember, the garden is the place of God's presence. It's the temple of God. It's where he dwells. And so in order to keep and guard the garden, Adam has a responsibility of working and keeping the garden, has a responsibility to do two things, to maintain the worship of God. Remember the Levites in, um, in Numbers 3, 7, and 8? They were given a responsibility to maintain the worship of God. But they also were given the responsibility to guard the tabernacle. Nobody comes into the tabernacle who is not authorized to come in, correct? That's what is given in Numbers 3, 7, and 8. Those are the same two words that is given to Adam. He is to guard against anything coming into the garden that is not of the garden. And he is to do a work that maintains and develops and matures the worship of God in the garden. So people say, how did that snake get in there in chapter 3? I don't know how it got in. I'm, certainly I know how it got in there. Adam let him in. Yeah. Yeah. When that thing came, and by the way, the serpent is Satan, obviously. He's called the Satan, the devil. When he strutted himself in there, Adam should have kicked out of there. Adam should never have let him in. It was Adam's fault for letting him in. And once the animal or the serpent or whatever you want to call him got his foot in there, he knew he was going to do something because Adam failed in his first duty, and that is to guard his place and his family. And how was he to guard? He was to guard it, first of all, through his obedience to the revealed word of God. And how was he to know the word of God? He was to study and read and memorize and understand the word of God. Amen? And because he did not do this for whatever reason, this thing came into the garden and destruction went everywhere. Men, men of God in this room, don't you ever try to figure out why things are not doing well or what's happening and e physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually in your household. You go to God because at the bottom of a lot of this, not all of it, is a lazy man, is a man who is not tending himself in the word of God sufficiently, who is allowing his work, his other issues, his pleasure, to be preempting that which is of primary and only significance as a believer, the Word of God. Amen? Amen? 
So you wonder what in the world is going on. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Do I do well in this? I don't do as well, nearly as well as I need to. So I need to do a lot better. And we all need to do better. Because our wives, our families, let alone God himself, we're bringing in weakness and destruction. Because we know more about who made a football touchdown. And I watch football. But we know more about football than we know of Deuteronomy. And in this priestly work, he was to do the work of God's temple. Where do we see this? Remember in Ephesians, again, going back to Ephesians 1, 7 and 12, the ministry of Jesus' priestly work. So let me try to go through this. I thought I would be faster in this in the preview. I said I can go through this lightning speed because they all heard it before. <clears throat> the significance of the office. You see, Adam rejected it. Remember his sin, Genesis 3, 6, and he ate. He rejected this. I'm not going to live this way. Therefore, in Genesis 3, 15, you remember what happened? The Lord promises to send another one, another Adam. Remember the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, the last Adam. I'm sending another Adam. Because why? Because the purpose of God will never be thwarted by the sin of man. Can you say amen to that? I don't care who sins, how much they sin, why they sin, when they sin, anything about their sin. I don't care about the combination of every sin that everybody has ever committed in all the generations of man. Nothing can thwart the purpose of God. Nothing. Nothing. Therefore, he promises to send another one. And in this one whom he will send, his three mandates or this threefold office will be perfectly and completely fulfilled. God will have in this second Adam a man after his own heart, a man who is his perfect image bearer upon the earth who in any and every way absolutely manifests who the Father is so that one day this man will be able to say to another man, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So God will send another man. Why? Because you see, God is committed according to his purpose that he will have us as his image bearers. He's committed to that. And so he'll send another man who will fulfill the offices of what? Prophet, priest, and king. Now, I want you to make sure we get this. It was necessary for Adam to fulfill all three. Why? It has to do with the revelation of God's triunity. Do we, do we understand that this morning? Therefore, when Adam failed, another man, in order to keep the purpose of God, had to come to be born in order to fulfill 
who would fulfill God's, the threefold office for the revelation of God's triunity. You see, it's all about the revelation of who God is in his nature and how he is in his character. That's what it's all about. And I'm not going to go through the three um, as king. Psalm 2, I think I have in your notes, you have it there. Priest, Psalm 110, and prophet, Deuteronomy 18. Do they have those in your notes? You can look those up. So you see, in Christ, in Christ, who will be the perfect image bearer of God, he will himself fulfill each one individually and all three collectively so that God's purpose in man will finally be achieved. Now, therefore, the Son of God becomes incarnate. Remember what incarnate means? Incarnation is born, becomes enfleshed. Therefore, the Son of God becomes incarnate to become God's perfect image bearers in order to show us the Trinity. Remember John 14, 9? Philip says, if you show us the Father, we will be satisfied. It will suffice. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you this long and yet you ask, show us the Father? If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And what does Jesus mean if you have seen me? Gordon, what it means is, what it does not mean is that you've seen me physically. No, we know it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean, well, if you've seen me as the Son of God and that's it. No, it doesn't mean that. It means so much more than both. It means that when you have been with me, when you have watched me, when you have listened to me, when I have done what I have done, I have acted the way I have acted in every circumstance. When you have seen me, you have seen the reality that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? This is what Jesus is saying in John 14, 9. If you've seen me, you've seen the Trinity. You've seen the living image of this eternal being who exists as three distinct divine persons forever in a community of relational love through their roles, you have seen this God of glory. That's what he means. Remember John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Son of God. And the Word was with God, the Father. And the Word was God, the Son. Remember that? Paul, I mean, John proclaims that. In Luke 135, we're told that the word, the Son, was conceived incarnate by the Spirit. See, the working of the entire Trinity is in this. Therefore, in the person and work of Jesus Christ is revealed the entire Trinity through his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. So when Jesus, as the Son of Man, manifested in the, ministered in the threefold office, he reveals the person and work of the Son, the Father, and the Spirit. He reveals, when Jesus man, uh, ministers in the threefold office, he is revealing the Son, the Father, and the Spirit. By fulfilling this threefold office, Christ would be filling three roles which collectively reveal the complementary roles of the three persons of God. We get that? We see how it comes together. As king, Jesus inaugurates the kingdom of God upon the earth. Remember that? As prophet, Jesus brings the Father's word to us. The word. 
As priest, Jesus offers himself as the sacrifice for our sin. So let me finish with this, and it may be in your notes. Christ is the king in his prophetic and priestly roles. Now remember, don't divorce all any of these roles from the other. One role is accentuated, but with the accentuation or the function of that particular role, the other two are contained. That means that when Jesus ministers, the Father and the Holy Spirit are involved. That means when the Spirit ministers, for instance, on the day of Pentecost, the Son and the Father are involved. That means when the Father ministers and commands, that means that the Son and the Spirit are involved. One taking the lead in the particular ministry, but the other two there. Because there is no dichotomy or splitting apart any of the persons of the Trinity. This is a comprehensive unity. As prophet, Jesus, I'm sorry, the, as, when Jesus is the prophet in his priestly and his royal roles. And Jesus is the priest in his prophetic and royal role. Therefore, in each role is contained the other two. These three roles together speak of the triunity ministry or the triune ministry of the one God. You see, so now I hope it begins to dawn on you. What does this have to do with us? I'll give you a hint. I can't stand not doing that. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Why? What does it have to do with? As he has fulfilled God's purpose, now we in him have received the same three mandates to fulfill God's purpose. Amen? Next week, we'll talk about the kingly role. Thank you.